welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 482 on Tuesday, the 12th of July, 2022. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And in a week where one of us will be saying ye and ha at the end of each sentence, we'll be looking at how burning fuel is the way to protest fuel prices. We'll be questioning why so many justifications don't actually stand up to any scrutiny and how you too can be cool right now. And we go straight into new news, don't we, Alan? We do. It's new news, and it is the start of the month. So we're kicking off uh, with the June new car registration figures. So uh, start crying now, everyone. <laughs> yes. June new car registrations fell by 24.3% to 140,958 units. And that, uh, excluding 2020, is the weakest performance since 1996. Yay! It was actually weaker than 2020. Was it actually weaker than 2020? It was weaker than 2020, just. If you look in the chart. Oh, sorry, I read a bit further down where it said bar 2020. Yeah, I think everyone just wants to forget 2020, but still it's worse than that. It's just scored completely out of any calendar I use. (laughs) It's not great. Obviously, this has been brought about by component supply problems, but not just that. I think that there's fewer people actually going out to, to try to buy new vehicles right at the moment uh, i noticed one commentator pointing out that they, you could almost get pre-registration deals on some types of vehicle generally petrols and diesels to, rather than anything else because frankly unless you're looking at a battery electric vehicle the numbers for everything else the percentages for everything else are down quite significantly if we want to look at uh, tristan young's breakdown by what you put into your carness <laughs> then we'll find that petrol these days has a 69% market share. Diesel has a 10.5% market share. Battery electric vehicles are up at 14% and plug-in hybrids are at 6.4-ish percent. A bit of a kicker just there. Mm -hmm. And don't forget, everybody, if you want to see more of that sort of analysis from Tristan, uh, he is from the Auto Retail Network, uh, and they are a business information provider for the industry. If I could remember that, I would have said that as well. Uh, Shall we hit the top tens? Yes, let's. uh, Before we get into into into, into the depth. It is obviously battery electric vehicle numbers up quite significantly. It is the end of a quarter. That means it's a Tesla ship month. Yay. That's ship with a P. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> Sorry, yes. Yes, absolutely a P. Top 10 as Hyundai Tucson, 2,692 units. Number nine, the MGHS. I actually wouldn't know what an MGHS looked like if it slapped me around the face. So, okay. I presume that's a SUV that's been refreshed slightly recently. I would imagine. I'm sure so, we yes, talked yes, about yes. it as well. That's how awful we are. Really? We did okay. talk about the well, refreshing. Well, let's yes. skip on and move on. The Kia Sportage, I know what that looks like. Yep. Uh, the Kia Nero, I also know that that looks like it was in at number seven. Number six, the Ford Puma. Um, and we've hit a whopping great 2,941 units. So we're still not, you know, 300 units up from number 10. Number five is Volkswagen Golf, 2,965 units. Everyone knows what that looks like. Uh, number four, the Nissan Qashqai. Number three, the Mini, uh, where we finally break the 3,000 marks, 3,055. Number two is the Tesla Model Y, as in why would you buy something that looks like a fat dolphin? 4,194 units. And number one, the most registered new vehicle in the UK in June 2022 was the... 
Vauxhall Corsa with 5,014 units. Uh, and that means, by the way, that the Corsa is by far the most registered new car to date for 2022 with 22,212. There's a lot of twos in that. Uh, of them registered compared to the Ford Puma, which is next up at 18,367. I think there's a lot there about how uh, supply of chips and electronics is driving manufacturers to build the more profitable variants of cars. So if you've got two cars that are about the same size, one's a bit bigger, one's a bit taller up, but they cost about the same to produce, then then you try and sell more of those to to bringing the extra revenue well with that in mind i'm surprised the corsa and not the mocha is the one that we That's see true. from Vauxhall. i am i am re- genuinely surprised that the corsa is the one that has clearly been given the supply we know someone who is waiting for a mocha an electric mocha and they mm. were supposed to be getting it this month and it hasn't even made it to production oh okay that's a bit worrying yes hmm it's true. It could. I can't think where the different factories are, though. If I knew that, then that might start to explain it a bit better. If they're built in the same factory, or just the supply and demand from where they actually are built. But I think it also does as well go back to what you were saying previously about if someone wanted a internal combustion engine vehicle. I think mm-hmm. a lot of the courses being sold are probably a lot. I've not looked into the background of that, but I would. I would be confident to predict that a lot are petrol diesel versions with maybe a mild hybrid yeah i I think most of what we're seeing you know is going to be mild hybrid Mm. so something like a golf you don't get it with any there are plug-in versions but it's obviously going to have an internal combustion engine by the time you're at something like the nero uh the hs and stuff then there is the chance that there are evs in that mix in that same model yeah so it's it's kind of unusual most things you've got are a hybrid Shall we hit the list of doom? Yes, let's go through the spreadsheet of doom. I will quickly rattle through the doom. Our Bath, Audi, BMW, Citroen. BMW is down dramatically. Audi is down dramatically. Uh, For example, Audi. Last year, 14,446. This year, 7,676. So that's a huge chunk, particularly when you think how much their cars cost as well. Fiat are also down, Ford down, Honda, Jaguar, Jeep, Lexus, Mazda, Mercedes, Mini, Renault, Seat, Skoda, Sanyong, Subaru. Subaru's one. Well, Subaru's one is actually quite bad because last year they managed to register 215 vehicles. Now, they never register much more than that anyway. Yeah. But this year, 83 and I've noticed a lot of adverts for Subaru recently, so mm-hmm. that surprises me. Uh, Toyota are also down. Volkswagen, uh, Volkswagen are down. You know, quite a big chunk. Nineteen thousand, nearly nineteen and a half thousand, down to just over eleven and a half thousand. Volvo are down, and other British are down. Please, Alan, tell us about one or two <laughs> positives, because there are only one or two positives. Well, there are, yeah. And those on the up are generally very, uh, very high percentages, uh, either because they didn't flog many vehicles this time last year, or didn't exist really. Uh, so the positives are Alpine, Bentley, Cooper, Dacia, DS, Genesis, Maserati, MG, Polestar, and Porsche. And congratulations to Genesis for winning the MG ridiculous percentage posit- positive percentage rise. 
Yes, at 311.11%. Yes. Uh, just that, by the way, there are some absolute killers whenever you look at the the percentage drops, generally amongst the Japanese manufacturers. So mm. Honda were down 60%, Jaguar down over 51%, Lexus down 62 Mazda down 59 and yeah. Subaru down 61 So some really nasty figures in there. Yeah. So let's move on from them and not dwell any longer, I think. Which brings us to the happy subject of fuel prices, Andrew. Yes, they still continue to go up. Lucky us. Lucky us in Britain. Unfortunately, uh, it's got to the point where now people are protesting against this. And last week, there were fuel price protests along UK motorways. And that's brought a lot of traffic congestion to a lot of these big roads. I'm not sure what they hoped to achieve apart from bringing it to national attention because going slow we've seen previously in our lifetimes when you kick off about fuel prices it isn't generally well received by the government of the time no historically definitely not if any of the people involved actually own lorry companies and things like that expect a knock on the door from the people who check out all your records are straight and your vehicles are perfect, etc. Because there will be quite a bit of um, petty retribution, or making sure that you are fully legal. (laughs) So this is what happened the last time there was a big... uh, There were protests of this style, in that the people whose trucks were front and foremost with their liveries on, all of a sudden... About six to eight months later, found themselves being being investigated just to make sure that, as you say, everything was, yeah, found themselves being the ones chosen for audit. (laughs) Uh, Just randomly. It's (laughs) just randomly. Just randomly. It was all the ones that were at the front and center of all the fuel protests. As a result, most hauliers have, and one of the reasons why it's taken so long for this to happen again, is that most hauliers just don't want that obviously Uh, it's a major hassle even if you are completely you know right life is difficult enough now (laughs) without having to worry about that kind of thing and foes are coming around and going oh can we see all the records for all these trucks please yes yes all of them Uh, and all the taco records and going through the whole thing and all your trailers so you just don't don't want that so you've got to be very brave or very foolish to be to be at the front of one of these protests yeah, a lot, a lot of the protests seem to be from light commercial vehicles or cars, uh, and quite a number mm-hmm. of people have actually been done for doing 30 mile an hour on motorways, which is too slow and illegal. Yep. Uh, so that's not a surprise. I'm still trying to work out if they've achieved anything positive at all, because I think events that happened outside of that, but in the political sphere have just trampled over any chance they had of anything positive yeah. coming from that campaign. But I don't know. I don't, I still can't work out what they felt they were going to get from this other than Th- a bit of a splash yeah. in the press. And that was it. And then the government, the government are not going to knock any more money off. That won't happen. No, I think we have to be well, realistic and grown up about that because the government desperately needs cash. <laughs> it depends on leadership campaigns, really, doesn't it? It's It's got to that stage. Everything's going to depend on that and who wants to be yeah, but shining I, the brightest. 
I think when they get into a position of power, they will see the constraints. But what they promise now is a different thing. Yes. Uh, But uh, associated with that, though, is that the uh, Competition and Markets Authority have done an urgent review into fuel prices, and they have decided to raise this as a, and I'm quoting from the Autocar article, cause for concern, which I think is really quite high up there for understatement of the week award uh, when it comes to the prices. And they are now going to be doing a full review into the rising cost of fuel prices, particularly as wholesale is dropping, and particularly as the price against the dollar, I believe, last time I saw anything, but I I'm, I'm, haven't been studying it that much because that has been a big factor of our problem. But the, mm-hmm. the pound, the sterling against the dollar has dropped, uh, has changed more in our favour where it wasn't before. Yes, I mean, I can't, personally, I can't work out that's a good thing or a bad thing. I paid uh $4.65 per US flagon or whatever the heck it is uh, the other day. Um, <laughs> if that makes you feel good, bad, or indifferent, but it still came to quite an alarming number of figures. <laughs> you know, I was only filling half a tank uh, of a rental car. So, uh, yes, it's it's still quite steep. And people over here are saying that, you know, there's all oh, the fuel prices. And I'm like, fuel price? What fuel price? <laughs> Compared to you know what what I've just left in the UK and and it's got no better since I've left in in the last week. No, uh, Sarah Cardell, who is the CMA General Counsel, has also stated that they need to get to the bottom of whether there are legitimate reasons for the price rises, and if not, what action can be taken to address it. And she continued to mention again in the click on the link in the show notes because it will be in the the uh, autocar article. But she meant, goes on to mention that the retail market does seem to be competitive apparently, but there mm-hmm. are some areas that warrant further investigation. Uh, obviously, the only way you're going to get this really reduced is if we stop using our cars as much as we can and therefore stop buying fuel mm-hmm. in reality. Yes. Yes, and and that there's there's a limit to how practical that is as well. Yep, there are a lot of people who have no choice. Absolutely, absolutely. Right, can you take us to Wales, please, Alan? Carefully, I shall. I shall try. I shall carefully and slowly take you to Wales. Uh, there is. It looks like the speed limits in Wales are going to be reduced from a standard thirty miles an hour to a standard twenty miles an hour. Uh, from next year, though it's very, it's quite specific. Though we ne- we need to be clear For because built-up areas. Yes, <laughs> yes. We we need to throw a load of caveats in here. I think, and I think we need to start right now. In case anyone new is listening to the show who hasn't listened to us for a long time, mm. we are very much in favour of people, no matter what transport they are using, of being mm-hmm. the safest they can be. And the environment yes. being harmed as little as possible. Yes. I think I've covered us there that we are not anti-speed reduction per se. <laughs> nor anti-safety, nor pro-necessarily petrol-guzzling V8s, blah, yes. blah, 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 and all the other things, which we've both been accused in the course of today. <laughs> it's the last 12 hours. <laughs> in the Yes, in the last 12 hours. Supposedly this is happening to do two things this is going to lower road collisions and traffic noise uh, and also to encourage people to walk and cycle although i'm not really sure how it's going to do that second part i'm not really certain about the traffic noise part either 
or even really the road collisions bit. Well, that's where this all comes a little bit unstuck. There's also talk about how it will reduce emissions. Mm, and <sighs> save you money. And it will produce a small peach every time you step past a tree. Could. They they, they say it could save us money. Right. Now, but we also need... unicorns? Yes. We also need to understand that the estimate, as it stands now before this has been passed in the Welsh Parliament is 33 million to implement this across the country. <laughs> All the sign manufacturers are rubbing their hands in glee. Well, quite. This one. Now, uh, there are <laughs> several problems with this which lead on to further steps and actions that have to happen down the line. Uh, the obvious first one is the number of people who will not stick to 20 miles an hour. Mm. Therefore, the reaction then is sticking speed cameras or traffic and or traffic calming elements. That costs mm -hmm. an awful lot of money. And then all of a sudden what you're doing is you are not policing. You are now all about compliance because policing is a much broader thing. Because someone's so when I sh uh, shared this on Twitter, someone came back and went, Oh, we'll just stick up um, speed cameras because then you'll catch anyone who goes over 20 mile an hour. You shouldn't speed if it's an excessive thing. And we have said many times on this show, the easiest way to not get a ticket or points on your license is to not exceed the speed limit. Not speed. <laughs> exactly. It, it seems to be one of the laws that is vaguely acceptable to break. I don't understand why, but it is. However, you're now doing compliance rather than policing because if police are visible... Mm -hmm then we do, and there are lots of studies to show, we do change our behaviour and we act more in line with what the laws require. Plus, a policeman can come up and go, mate, slow down in those 20s, eh? Rather than yeah. three points, here's a less, go off and do this day's course. A hundred, a hundred pounds it is as well. Yeah. There's that side of things where there is a knock-on effect. Okay. Mm -hmm. The emission side of things... The government, Welsh government's own documentation does not actually tally in what they're saying in the documentation with the research they are citing. No. They are saying in the research that it will reduce nitrogen dioxide and other emissions. However, in the research they refer to, it says that petrol cars, nitrogen dioxide emissions go up. <laughs> <laughs> so what they're talking about is diesels where it does actually reduce. So they are taking the petrol away from the diesel and doing an overall, but they are guesstimating the, the type of traffic that is about. Also, again, in many replies I had to me was cited Imperial College uh, research that talked about reduce uh, 20 mile an hour reduce emissions by 8.3 to 8.7%. That's fabulous. Mm -hmm. However, that study only looked at Euro compliant four engines doesn't look at five or six. So therefore you are no. using bad data to justify something. There will be, and I am confident there will be a reduction in some circumstances of some of the emissions, but not all mm -hmm. as the engines get newer, that reduction drops dramatically because they are so much cleaner now. Like a Euro six is hardly comparable to a Euro four. This was part of the thing, we, did we not discuss this recently, about uh, tyre emissions are now a problem because there's practically no, <laughs> there's practically no tailpipe emissions. Yeah. Uh, there is going to be linked in the show notes a uh, BBC News article 
the the arguments against this in the BBC News article are not the strongest because it's I'm going to be inconvenienced and it'll cause chaos, which no, it's not going to do either of those. I don't I don't think that's uh, well, a very good sorry. That's- we go back to the Plymouth a couple of weeks ago. Mm. They reduced from 30 to 20. That obviously did cause problems because they've increased it back up to 30. So there will be localized issues depending on the roads. However, the government's Welsh government's own documentation makes it clear that there is the ability to exclude a particular section of road due to circumstances that would make it would make everything worse. So there are enough. There are there are some caveats in here. It's not as bad as people uh, as people think, provided it's implemented properly. No, I mean they already have it as as law that it's twenty mile an hour near schools. Mm-hmm. I, I never have an issue with that. You can ask for certain areas, or a council can ask for certain areas where they can explain. Look, we really do need to make this twenty because it. You know, there are an X number of incidents and mm-hmm. collisions here. It's badly designed road, you know all these sort of things, which which is valid because you are taking a case by case. To blanket do it is very silly because you will not get the benefits you hope you will. Because there's also, again, in the uh, this is actually the Department for Transport's guidance on implementing twenty mile an hour zones. Sorry, everyone. I mm-hmm. thanks to the abuse I got today, I have actually looked into this quite a bit now. <laughs> yes, I, I'm just leaving him to it because um, I don't really think there's much that I can contribute. So do keep on going. But but just on this last bit in the Department for Transport's own guidance on when to implement a 20 mile an hour limit, and this doesn't actually tick many of those boxes. It does make it clear that while people feel the reduction in speed encourages people to do more active travel, there is no evidence that there is an uptake in active travel. But the first step to encouraging people to cycle and walk and scooter or whatever it is more is to make them feel like they're safe. Yes. But I worry when we get to I feel something, that starts to get to is my feel more important than your feel? And we can see how society gets quite messy with that at the moment. And I think that's the point where I say, Andrew, you should keep your feels to yourself. I will. I will I will only okay. feel myself. <laughs> <laughs> that you just made that worse. Somehow <laughs> you managed to make that worse. I try. Uh should we have a bit of a change of tack now? Yes, absolutely. Let's talk about upcycling EVs. Yes, my voice again, I'm afraid. But this is an interesting one because the company uh, Lunas which are based in the Silverstone Technical uh, Area. Um, what are they called? The uh, Technology Park. Silverstone Technology Park. Technology Park, sorry. Silverstone Technology Park. They upcycle and electrify and remanufacture passenger industrial and commercial vehicles from all types of combustion engine basis. So they are going to be expanding to be able to have a capacity of around 1,100 vehicles each year. Now, they do quite a a lot of work on things like uh, recycling lorries uh, and mm-hmm. sort of stripping them basically down to chassis, removing all the stuff that's broken garbage they can recycle and, and building them up again. I mean, this is not just, oh, we'll throw a battery underneath in, in, or where the engine goes and have at it. There's a proper system, this. This is one of the great things about commercial vehicles, by the way, is that they're so much more serviceable than cars. 
It's almost like it's designed in. <laughs> I know, and they're so much more modular. So as a result, it's not as hard to sort of strip down a truck to its chassis, its, com- its, its basic components, fit new or refurbished parts uh, to upgrade it, and, and then wheel it back out the door again, essentially. So this is a great opportunity for, for example, councils and service providing service providers mm. to be able to say, well, actually, you see when this you see when this bin lorry reaches end of life, we're not just going to chuck it and buy a new bin lorry. What we're going to do is we're going to go and we're going to have it refurbed for less than the cost of a new bin lorry. And it's going to come back and it's going to be an electric bin lorry or 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 with a with you know a newer a highly refurbished box on it and that's great or maybe we don't want it to be a bin lorry anymore we want it to be a, a low cab access service truck or, or tipper or something uh, and to be able to switch fleets around in that kind of way as well it just sounds brilliant because we're not digging up new things to make the whole vehicle just parts mm-hmm. of the vehicle so we're limiting the the new environmental damage that we inevitably have to to do to build something mm-hmm. new Let's all be grown up about that and understand that and acknowledge that that has to happen. But we're not having to go to the point where we're creating the entire vehicle from fresh. I, I just think that's a, a fab idea. I, I also think it should be something that is heavily promoted and supported yeah. by government and councils, by them using it and service providers, particularly, obviously, fleet people, uh, hmm. uh, as even if it is only a short-term thing until we can get on stream commercial vehicles or other vehicle, any vehicle being made in sufficient qualities, quantities, but limiting the damage. It's the whole thing that people say about EVs. So, oh, yeah, but you have to uh, start from scratch and build a whole new car. Well, this approach means you don't have to. Mm-hmm. This is not sexy stuff, by the way. This is really super practical stuff. As a result, that's why you don't hear about it as much, because it's not a... 2000 horsepower electric supercar that's built from i don't know swarovski crystals in the bottom of a <laughs> lake in the black forest or any of this kind of or it's an ev that weighs eight tons because you decided to yeah. make someone think it's cool because you've grabbed an old one <laughs> well in all fairness it probably is an ev that weighs eight tons andrew so that's maybe no no but i mean like you, know, you you haven't gone down the lines of oh let's make the hummer electric because that's brilliant in sort of oh, negating yeah, all the positives there. of making an electric vehicle because it weighs half a moon <laughs> I, I saw an h2 this morning and still thought no even here that looks big showy and completely <laughs> and totally out of place and this is a place where an x7 looks reasonable but yeah i i hope uh, i mean obviously they are doing uh, really well because they are expanding due to customer demand so that's brilliant Mm. hopefully more of this happens because it's that whole uh what was the cycle that we had explained to us by one of our dear listeners which one uh no i'm sorry you need to narrow it down a bit more the you know the um the carbon cycle no the full cycle uh, where somebody's designing specifically that something can be recycled uh, oh uh, yes yes the design for oh it has less sexy name and we did it because they, we were originally told off because it was to do with Stellantis and PSA and the lady who was Linda yeah because uh, we didn't who was in charge. we didn't know yeah. what exactly anyway it was. so anyway should we move on yes yeah. that design for for reuse and recycling yes right take us to um hacking now please Anna. Do you have a Honda? 
<laughs> maybe not for much longer. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe someone else is going to have it soon. I shouldn't laugh. I'm not. I'm not actually laughing. <laughs> a quite significant security flaw has been found in many, many uh, Hondas from 2012. All Hondas from 2012. <laughs> All Hondas from 2012, and it's been. It's called Rolling Pone is what it's been named and what's meant to happen with your honda key is that you're meant to flip it and whenever you lock it it makes a new code and so every time you lock or unlock your car or lock your car then a new code is made so that the the, the two the, the fob and the car can communicate and they understand that it's each other talking to each other and they trust yes that. yeah and that, that's that's the authentication method Sorry, yes. Uh, What's happened is that they found a a certain undocumented feature in the system by which (laughs) the car will recognize previous codes and previous authentications. Uh, That means that if you do capture the locking of a vehicle, you can then uh, use the same code to unlock it uh, many times. Uh, There is a link to a Jalopnik story about this. Uh, There is also a link to a tweet by a chap called Rob Stumpf, at Rob Drives Cars on Twitter, who was able to replicate the exploit using two different keys and uh, demonstrate and show it working. It gets better than that, though, Alan. Does it? How, in which way have I missed that it gets better than that, Andrew? Well, there's there's a couple of things here. How Honda reacted to this wasn't the great. It, it's not up there with world-class reaction to information from security researchers. So they didn't handle the communication very well. Uh, in fact, when they have replied to Vice, who brought this to everyone's attention from the security researchers, they said it was old news. Isn't what I want to hear from a manufacturer that has anything connected to the internet, please. Uh, and to file a report with customer services as well. Yes, the other thing. That, that was it. It was not... Please, please, can I send you the link to our bug bounty? So, of course, we can leap on this. It was, oh, go to customer help, please. Oh, not even please, yeah. just go to customer help. Yeah. So, well, we've used, that, we've used Honda infotainment systems, so we understand how these kind of things can happen. <laughs> so that wasn't great. However, what makes this even less uh, cool? Two things. First thing, the solutions are either from the security researchers get the, all the cars, all the cars that have been sold since 2012 back to dealers. That's going to be tricky. That's or do an over-the-air update. Not all of them can no. do over-the-air update. <laughs> <laughs> That's if Honda have a solution to the problem. What's even worse is the security researchers have turned around and said, hold your beers though to everyone because we know there's many other cars that are affected by this as well, and we'll let you know soon. (laughs) Okay. So tell you what, everyone, let's start locking using only the key, not the blipper. (laughs) Where's the fun in that? Yeah, so that sounds incredibly uncool for all of us who own a car. Great. End of the first part, though. I've, I've it is end of the first part, and there's there. been a lot of waffle in this first part. I imagine that the version that you're listening to, most listeners will be shorter than the version that was recorded. However, it is now Guilt Minute. That quick break in the show, we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on, the hosting running. If you feel that Motoring Podcast is worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. 
Different levels of Patreon include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. We also have a small range of merchandise available from our website and Spring Store, from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash, and we do completely understand, of course, then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released, and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all of that, and some of you do, so thank you very, very much, then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Yes, thank you. New New Car News, Andrew. New New Car News, and I will start with MG. The MG4 has been revealed. Now, it took me a while until I read the details to understand that the pictures I was looking at of this rather smart-looking car was for a hatchback about the same size as an ID3 because there's nothing to judge it against, so it could have been an SUV-type EV or not, but no, it's not. It's um, it's ID3-sized. The door handles are quite big. That's the only thing that gives you any concept of scale on the door <laughs> handles. Yeah, but it is... It's a different look for MG. It's one that they've sort of previewed with the hmm. Cyberster. Isn't that how you pronounce it? It is, it is something Yes, well, the Roadster concept that, that, yes. that, that they've shown off a couple of times now. With this very silly name. Um, it looks, well, this is called the MG Mulan in other, in other markets, which I'm sure Disney had a word to say about whenever they proposed it for the UK. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, maybe not. But it's rather cool. It's, it's definitely more interesting looking than an id3 it's it's a bit sort of cooper born ish yeah i think it's more taking cooper on really because the id3 Mm. is the id family at the moment is of a certain look which isn't the most exciting shall we say no drink tupperware (laughs) and this is definitely more of the cooper born end of actually you can make them look interesting end of things it's uh, a little bit lower than an ID3. Um, it's going to have two hundred up to 281 miles of range. There's going to be a number of powertrains ranging from uh, 167 brake horsepower all the way up, and that's via a single motor, but all the way up to 443 with a dual motor Why? four-wheel drive. I, I don't know, because then there's talk of that version to be 0 to 62 in 3.8 seconds, who cares? Why? But then the top speed is still limited to 99. Again, that doesn't matter. At 99 mile an hour, it doesn't matter because you shouldn't be going that fast anyway in this country. So what does it matter? It's going to be more how efficient the powertrain battery architecture all is uh, and they're using their their brand new um, modular platform that they've got that they're going to be able to just wheel out for the rest of their updated range so i this is going to be really interesting to see how this takes off because mg have done and we have harped on about this every month for what feels like yeah. the last three years or so they have done that incredibly is. well in terms of growing proper growth of new car registrations stroke sales and this is very different to anything else they've offered to date i saw an mg3 the other week i was driving somewhere and i just thought wow things have moved on haven't they yep yep it comes to mg really 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 impressive looking forward to seeing this i don't really see the point in the super crazy powerful ones other than to say that there's a super crazy powerful one they'll probably sell about three but generally of the day-to-day cooking versions that there will be around and, and they will be, then I think this is uh, this this is looking pretty good. 
Yeah, designs to find out really interesting. They've done a great job of dealing with the fact that the car doesn't need a grill and stuff like that. Mm. I, I, I'm really impressed with how this looks. Yep, same here. Absolutely. Right, take us to Volkswagen. Take us to Volkswagen via Ford. Uh, so the new <laughs> Volkswagen Amarok has been unveiled. It is larger than the previous generation Amarok. It is more advanced than the previous Jason Amarok. It is more american than the previous generation volkswagen amarok uh, it's hard to believe that the amarok actually had been around for 12 years i know i read that and i was like oh, i was just like, I had it like yeah six or seven years at most i think that's our age alan i think that's what the problem I think is it is i think we've just got to get used to it really <laughs> one two a lot <laughs> lots of the engineering took place in australia germany and the u.s so remains to be seen obviously how well it's going to cope with the uk roads but you know if it's dealing with those three places it shouldn't be quite so bad there's a number of uh, engines uh, top of the line will be 247 brake horsepower turbocharged v6 diesel there'll be two different four-wheel drive systems curiously enough i suppose one of them will be manual one of them will be so fully engaged automatic viscousy whatever's one for consultants, one for people who really need to go off-road. <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, to be honest, let, let's face it, the Amarok traditionally has been the dentist's pickup truck. <laughs> it's been, you know, are you self-employed, but not in any any job where you'd like, uh, where you really need a pickup truck? Would you like a pickup truck for the tax breaks? Mm, buy an Amarok. That's essentially where it goes, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> as opposed to buying a Hilux or a, a previously an L200 or a, a D-Max or, or a Ranger. I expect this will sell in larger numbers. It'll be more global uh, than the previous generation. The previous generation alone, by the way, sold 830,000. So it was, ba- it was hardly a failure, despite my, no. my urine, urine removal just there. Yes, we'll see just, just what happens. It carries more. It's got higher payload. I think it looks, looks pretty decent. It looks good. It looks it looks pretty pretty handsome. But it looks it, the front end does look huge. I have to say, but I mean, I know that's a, a pickup thing right now. In, in, in one week, I've been dulled down a little bit on what the front a huge front of a truck looks like. I'll, I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, you're not allowed I, to comment anymore. I actually looked at a Chevy Silverado this morning and thought that doesn't look so bad, does it? <laughs> what did you do? Get the step ladder. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, <laughs> look over. The it bonnet. was fr- it was from I was quite a distance away, so it, you know the whole Father Dougal thing going on <laughs> yeah. i saw a ford maverick the other day on the other end of the scale i did see a ford maverick the other day and it looked really good and i saw a hyundai santa cruz as well in in passing very briefly because ultimately that's what i would quite like because i'm a big kid and it looked smart as well in a sort of euro size way uh, as mm. opposed to some of the monsters yeah. anyway the last little bit of new new car news andrew renault marking 50 years of the renault 5 in a rather outlandish way yes resto mod corner (laughs) and this is the renault 5 that has had some work done by pierre gonalon pierre gonalon this renault 5 looks on the outside it looks spectacular and well wonderful for most of it there there are are a few areas choices I'm yeah that some choice choices have definitely been made particularly when you get to the interior but there's choices have been made that I'm not as convinced like the the headlights the steering pretzel and the headlights yeah the the marble steering pretzel 
Is, is it marble? Oh gosh, it is too. Yes. I just, I hadn't really paid attention to what the finish was. I was so distracted by the shape. Yes. Yes. The, the, the steering pretzel, the headlamps. And do you know what upsets me more than most other things on it? Is the fact that they've gone away from the flush doors with just the little indent at the back and the little tab that you open so that with concealed oh. handles and oh, they fitted okay. doorknobs. Mm. But I do love the color. Yes. I like the seats. I like the wheels. I wouldn't have the wheels in that color, but I like that, you know, it's steel. Steel. They, they are a nice, well, they are a nice heart back to some of the, some of the original Renault 5. Some, yeah, some but he's, he's just, they've just he's just thrown a, another color in and it didn't need yet another color is for me hmm. i agree with you on the handles the headlights if they'd been sunk in are fabulous because there's this just mad crystal type headlights which just looks ace except for they're stuck on the outside of the car but it's so clean uh, and the and the color the, the the external colors are lovely and that that sunroof. Just, oh, oh yeah, sunroof. Full and sunroof's always going to be a win. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's some lovely stuff on it. You could see just pottering around locally in that, couldn't you? Absolutely not a problem. I could anyway. Not you. Yes. No, I you, do. You like probably it. get run over by something larger. <laughs> get my way. It's my current cries. Get out of the way. Don't you know I'm European? And also, I know how roundabouts work. Uh, but even if you don't. Well, that's witchcraft, that is. <laughs> yeah. Lunchtime Read this week is a really nice piece by Christopher the Pollitt on the Car and Classic magazine. Uh, there'll be a link in the show notes. It's a good five or six minutes worth of worth of reading. It's it's just nice about why why you buy a classic car, why you run a classic car, why a classic car doesn't have to be anything particularly fancy, uh, and why it's all about the memories and the thinking. And, and it's... it's exactly why i had the mercedes um was because i've always liked that model it, it just reminded me of um bizarrely french exchange trips and uh and and i just always liked it my dad had a 190e i always thought the w124 looked a bit better that was why i always wanted one and i'm really pleased that i've owned one and i'm sad i don't own it anymore uh, yeah. but it's a really nice nice piece along those lines uh but much better worded than i've just managed of course because it's chris yep great bit of writing mm. so do click on the show notes uh, the link in the show notes for that i will take us to the list of the week and this is from haggerty and it is five of britain's best roads and this is thank you to nick berg who they've spoken to who has a a website called detourroadtrips.com where he and this uh, we've put up many lunchtime reads that are about an adventure in a car and it doesn't necessarily need to be that you've gone off road or you've done something that no one else has done but you've just gone off in your car for a reason and you've had an ace time and this is what he's after with his uh, website where he is suggesting road trips that you could take with your car across the globe as well this is not as though it's just specifically the UK. There's plenty of places he's suggesting you might want to try this journey and all these other places as well. So click the link for the Haggerty article that Alan is going to pick one of these from because, you know, he's he's been so long away from the UK now that he needs to select a, 
a fond memory if he can. I, I bought a bottle of Iron Brew last night. I didn't <laughs> drink it though. It's far too expensive. <laughs> Uh, but also there I won't tell you about the 24 pack we've got over here then but also there uh, there will be a link in his for the detourroadtrips.com website which has a ton of fabulous articles on uh, and I've also included it because in honor of Alan the very latest article is an Englishman's New England USA where someone takes off from Boston and it's from Simon Hepsenstalls, and it is it is lovely, and maybe it'll help Alan settle in uh, a little bit more and give him something else to explore apart from everything in New England at the moment. You're such a sword. But so enough waffle, Alan. Have you had a chance now? <laughs> As if I was the s- one waffling. Uh, <laughs> no, no. But enough of my waffle. Have you had enough right. chance to select? I've driven quite a few of these. Yes, I bet you have. I'm glad to say he hasn't picked my favourite driving route. Thankfully, I've, I've I've driven quite a few of these. Um, it's going to be the Bialchnabar. Uh, just again, it's a bit like Chris. It's a bit like Chris. Uh, uh, the article we've just talked about about the memories. It's not so much about the road. I mean, I remember before the North Coast 500 was a thing. Then I used to go out there in my first car at the weekend um because there was nothing better to do in Inverness on a Sunday and um and drive out to Loch Caron and to Applecross and over to Applecross and it was it was wonderful. The first time I was ever out there was a, a school arch art trip for a week. And um I remember just going over that and it just being this amazing piece of road to get to Applecross. And then a fantastic week in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> um in 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 june uh after i'd done my levels and it was it was great so lots of stuff uh Be'ahnabar always what will always be one of my favorite roads and it was even better before it was full of morons yep have to say all the roads selected here or routes selected here are crackers i i've mm, been yeah homes uh, to pass and stuff are brilliant yep, yep. <laughs> Yep. So uh, yes. there's only five, so I won't mention anything. And like I say, do check out the detour-roadtrips.com uh, website. Again, reminder, link in the show notes, because there's some great writing on there and great ideas for you. This is, this is lovely. I'm going to spend a lot of time reading this. Yep. Yeah. Right. Well, before you do that, can you take us through to the unfinally? And finally this week comes from uh, Cybrows, who is no stranger to Americana. Uh, this one here, uh, this one here comes because he found a, a car dressed like a chicken essentially on a website and then ended up off down a rabbit hole uh, or a chicken hole uh, to find out why the heck there was a Cadillac with a chicken head and a rooster tail, why it existed. And so this one is about the, the article that you're going to link to is about chicken cars of the USA about all the different places where you can find cars that look like chickens. And <laughs> this is one bizarre. of the more mad articles we've ever linked to. It is I one of the craziest articles, but it's wonderful as well. Um, yes. And there's lots of, it's a great, another great re- website. Uh, it's called roadarc, um, uh, uh about roadside architecture around the world and across the USA. And it's just, it's nuts it's mad it's nuts so do please click through have a little bit of a link and just you can find out about some of the various basically roadside adverts 
that took the form of a car made into a chicken. Yep. There was one last little bonus, and finally, uh, which yes. you tagged in earlier on today. I um, did. And it's from Nia Khan. And Nia, in the, Nia is, is providing tips uh, from someone who does live somewhere warm. Uh, so warm pretty much all of the time, apart from when it's snowing, it seems, to how you should best use your air conditioning to cool your car to start with. So yes. his tip is to switch on the air conditioning and open all of the windows. Drive like that for a minute just to get the initial rush of air out and then put up the front windows only, leaving the back windows open. Drive for another minute, which really isn't very long or very far, um, and then close the rears. By that point, the cool air will be streaming right through to the back of the car and it will have cleared out all the hot air much more quickly than any other method. Thank you, Nia, for that consumer advice to us mm. poor Brits who are having a right old fuss about the hot weather. And to, just, just the to say, though... here kicked in too many times, by the way, whilst we've been speaking. <laughs> do, I do hope not. Don't gloat, Alan, don't gloat. Just nice to be clear, degrees, I do, yeah. uh, much as I am mocking the hysteria and some of the news coverage, I do understand that the ex- when we do get to extreme heat, it is problematic for people who do have health issues. So I'm not belittling that, but I do feel that the hysteria in general, it's like they've been desperately looking for something else to talk about. Of course, everybody's sick of politics. Right. Anyway, at which point I'm going to stop you going on another round because this, despite the fact that you were were saying there weren't very many news stories this week, we do seem to have filled quite a lot of time. And all that really remains for me this week is to thank Alex uh, for holding the fort last week uh, when I was, uh, what was I doing? Oh, it was the 4th of July. At this time, I was sitting outside enjoying barbecue and drinking beers. Uh, so thank you, but had no <laughs> way of actually hosting a podcast. It should be pointed out. Uh, so yes, thank you. That was uh, more the point, not you were on in a party. <laughs> it's that we couldn't actually speak to each other, Alan. <laughs> yes, you couldn't. Not very, not very well. Um, and definitely not with stuff like a microphone. Um, so yes, Alex, thank you so much as ever for bringing your, your knowledge and expertise to the podcast. It's always appreciated uh thank you so uh thank you so very much yep that's us for the week uh but don't forget between now and next week you can give us any feedback share your thoughts to show at motoring podcast on twitter and instagram on facebook and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com the hub of all our activities remember you can support us financially on patreon and please leave a review and rating on apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? The best way to scream at me at the moment is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, I will invariably be putting up some topic that (laughs) inflames some sector of the British public. Uh, So uh, look for that on Twitter. And Alan, if people would like to get in touch with you personally and, and try and understand how Americanized you have become already, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeehaw, mother lovers. Uh, you can do it via Twitter. I just can't do it. Uh, you can do it via Twitter, uh, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B R A D L E Y. Uh, we'll be back very soon. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring. <laughs>